You know, it's a little intimidating, uh, thanks to Tim Murphy uh, for sharing the last couple of weeks, you know, following an Air Force career fighter pilot, our own pastor, a Navy pilot, I want you to know I've seen Top Gun three times. <laughs> but this morning, as we are going to look at a passage in 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7, I want to set the context for you because it's an important part of the backdrop of the story as the Apostle Paul is instructing his protege, Timothy, his apprentice in the faith, that he refers to as a spiritual son. And it's set in the context of the apostle coming to the end of his life. These are his final words, if you will, to his investment in the faith. And as I grow closer to the end, I want you to know if this was my last sermon, this is what I would say. Because last words are lasting words. And if you've been around someone who is about to approach the throne, you know how significant it is to be with them at that moment when they want to communicate what is most important. And so this morning, as we prepare to look at this passage of scripture, I do want to pray for us. You know, I find it interesting that we often pray for the speaker, right, when they're coming to deliver the word. And I want you to know that I personally take that as a great responsibility to faithfully teach the word. But any speaker will tell you, I can only bring truth to ears. Only God takes it to the heart. When the psalmist prays, Lord, open our eyes that we might behold wonderful things from your law, he helps us realize the burden is not so much on the speaker as upon the listener. The apostle James in James 1 says, we are to be doers of the word, not merely hearers who delude themselves. And so this morning, while I want you to know I, I'm prepared, and as I was telling Jack, I'm loaded for bear. You don't have to worry about that with me. I've got plenty of content to deliver this morning. But it's only words, unless the Spirit of God teaches us. And as we've said before, remember, the Spirit of God teaches us the Word of God to equip the people of God to accomplish the mission of God. And today we want to focus on that component. What does it mean to be on mission with God? What does it mean to be his devoted followers, his dedicated servants, his disciplined learners, what the Bible refers to as a disciple? So shall we pray? Father in heaven, we come again, gathered publicly as your church to hear from you. And I am painfully aware that these dear people do not need to hear from me, but I believe with all my heart they need to hear from you. So would you speak to us today? Holy Spirit, be our teacher as we gather around your inspired word that we might be faithful to your call that we may be engaged with you in your mission for your glory. In Jesus' name, amen. 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 1 through 7 is our text this morning, and I want to read it for you, but, but I want to do something different. I want you to close your eyes, and I want you to listen to this as the Apostle Paul speaking to his beloved son in the faith, and I want you to hear it so that you understand his heart, that you understand his passion. As you've read the New Testament, you know the Apostle Paul was a 
rather intense individual. I, I don't think you'd really want to live next door to the guy. But he was passionate about faith and passionate about Jesus, and he's communicating. So listen as I read. You therefore, my son, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And the things that you have heard from me in the presence of many witnesses, these things entrust to faithful men who will be able to teach others also. Suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. For no soldier in active service entangles himself in the affairs of everyday life, but that he may please the one who enlisted him as a soldier. If anyone competes as an athlete, he does not win the prize unless he competes according to the rules. The hardworking farmer ought to be the first to receive his share of the crops. Consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. Amen. So Paul was addressing Timothy and via him to us, the church, what it means to be on mission with God. And he is fleshing out for us in this passage really what Jesus communicated in Matthew chapter 28 about discipling nations. He is committed to us this work and Paul is simply describing what he has given his life to literally traveling the globe, proclaiming Christ, building believers, sending servants. I've heard that before. He has modeled for Timothy what it means to follow Jesus into the very ends of the earth with this sense of mission and purpose. And now he's invested, and part of the reason in the New Testament why you see him list so many names of people who are his traveling companions and his co-laborers is that he invested in people, names of individuals. And that gives us the model why God commits to us this ministry of affection and development of people. So here he's reminding Timothy that if you're going to follow me on mission, if you're going to be engaged with me in what I'm doing, you're going to need some things. You're going to need some equipping. You're going to need some equipment. You're going to need some armament, to use the military term. And here Paul is saying to Timothy, as you begin this journey, and Timothy was already a follower. He was already a leader. But Paul is ready to go off the scene. And now he's not only talking to Timothy as his son, but he's talking to his spiritual grandchildren and his great-grandchildren. You're going to see that in just a minute. And he wants to make sure that Timothy doesn't forget what is most important. And so he says to Timothy, be strong in the grace that is in Christ Jesus. And this term, as we've mentioned before, this term grace is, Philip Yancey calls it the last best word of the Christian faith. This term that only means gift, it also means divine power. So that when God says to Paul in his suffering, my grace is sufficient for you, he is also saying my divine power will keep you going through difficulty if you trust me. He says this grace that is a gift, this grace that is power is also shocking in its condescension. That when Jesus took on humanity as a grace, it was a shock to heaven. It's a shock to us to understand when the mighty reach down to the lowly. When the strong help the weak is a picture of grace. 
And so Paul is saying to Timothy, you must not only believe it, you must not only understand it, you must be strong in grace. Now what's troubling to me about this passage that starts this way, this is not what our neighbors would say about us. This is not what our culture says about us. If you ask the general populace, give me some descriptions for the term Christian in general or evangelical in particular, they would say words like hypocritical, self-righteous, judgmental. Would anybody say they are the most gracious people in all the world? That's too convicting. Let's move on. The reality is, Paul says, you begin by grace, you continue by grace, and you end with grace. You never graduate from it. And therefore, as followers of Jesus, as those who are committed to him, Paul is saying, we must always remember, it is never our self-righteousness. It is always his righteousness. And I do realize the world is no friend to the church. I realize the media will never portray us in the way that glorifies God. But before you go there too quickly, just let that soak a little bit. Just enter into that and realize what are we doing if that's how we're communicating the gospel. Because I think suddenly what it's saying is that we're the good guys and you're the bad guys. And if you just come join our team, then all your problems would go away. And we know that's true, right? <laughs> that's not true. <laughs> Your problems do not go away when you come to faith. Sometimes they get worse. Don't, don't put that on a billboard anywhere. But the reality is the scriptures are very open. Jesus was not a bait and switch kind of teacher. He, he didn't sell one simple product and then ask you to buy more. He was very open about what it meant to be his followers. And so is the apostle Paul. You're going to see that in just a minute. But notice, if we're strong in grace, that's how we begin. Then he says in verse 2, what's been trusted to me, I've entrusted to you. And seeing it as a multiplying generational approach, that God's fulfillment of his mission is to see this multiply. And it's really nothing more than a repetition of Genesis chapter 1, verse 28, the very first command in the Bible. Be fruitful and multiply. And without giving you a high school biology lesson review, which would make me very uncomfortable, God has built into the biological nature of the understanding of reproduction. It's not really that complicated. I don't know why I opened this door, but um, in the spiritual realm, it's the same. God has given us life. It's meant to replicate itself. When things are right, it happens. And so Paul is saying, make sure that you see this generational approach. And notice, this is not multi-level marketing. Okay, this is, if you've been in Amway or anything, you, you know, sorry, it, it just can distract you by thinking it's about a tree, you know, gene genealogies. It's really about multiplication. And Paul is saying, understand this, that this is a picture of test, if you will, what I like to call the great-grandchild test. It's, it's seeing generations of people reproduce themselves. Joan and I just came back from a few weeks in Southern California. It's a tough job, but somebody's got to do it. Seeing our grandchildren, and we have 10, and we were visiting four of ours in Southern Cal. And, you know, grandchildren are amazing. 
If you haven't experienced grandparenting yet, you're in for a real treat. 3 John 4 says, I have no greater joy than this than to hear my children are walking in the truth. And I might add, there's no greater pain than when your children aren't walking in the truth. But with respect to the Apostle John, the Apostle Paul would also say, there's a greater joy. That's grandchildren and great-grandchildren walking in truth. In other words, you see this picture, you see this vision of what God is giving to his church, that it's not just about you, it's not even about you and your kids, it's about future generations who will become followers of Christ. And he's modeling this for Timothy and encouraging him to continue this process. And, and it's not simply an obligation, it's an incredible joy. Grandchildren are a great joy for a very short period of time. But when Jesus sent out the 70, you remember in Luke chapter 10, when they came back and they reported all that God had done through them, Jesus was joyful because they got it. They understood what God had called them to do, and now they were engaged in doing it. They were on mission with him. Just as when he said in Matthew 4, follow me and I will make you fishers of men. Sadly that we kind of relegate that to Sunday school. But the point is, when we follow him, he is going to change us and help us be investing in people. He wants us to understand that clearly. So we begin with grace, we invest in people, and cheer up, it gets worse. He says in verse 3, suffer hardship with me as a good soldier of Christ Jesus. Now, I can guarantee none of you have memorized that verse. In fact, ladies, I'll bet you don't have that on a plaque in your house. No one likes to talk about stuff like that. But here the Apostle Paul says very clearly, if you're going to be strong in grace, if you're going to follow me and invest in people, it is going to be hard. It's going to take endurance. You're going to have to understand it is not easy by definition. And Jesus wants us to be clear about that that as we follow him and as we lead others, it will be a challenge. Now, when we use the term disciple, and in our Discipleship 101 class, we've been talking about how, how hard that is to communicate sometimes. And I've told uh, some of you, when I first came to the East Coast, my first job was as a discipleship pastor. And my good, healthy pagan neighbor called my church and said, what is a discipleship? He thought I was going to build Christian boats in my front yard or something. I mean, so he just had no idea. Well, if you think that's bad, try communicating to your neighbors. At our church, we make good soldiers of Christ Jesus. Really? That would make some news, wouldn't it? But he's giving him a picture to help you understand that he calls you to an aggressive life. And he wants to make it clear that we don't misunderstand his calling. Soldiers are not enlisted for comfort. And the Christian army in particular builds soldiers, not forts. Now, think about that in the midst of our construction right now. Jesus said, by this, men will know you're my followers, by the buildings that you build, by the programs that you establish. He said, by the way you love one another, the way you live out the gospel. Now, I'm not saying buildings are wrong. I'm just saying, let's hold them very lightly. Let's not think 
that a building or a staff or a program is essential to the kingdom. Because if we hold it lightly, we won't be so bothered when it's taken away. My father-in-law was dedicating a church one time. A friend had invited him to come and preach. And so I was asked, so what are you going to pray when you pray for this dedication? And this will give you a little insight into my temperament and personality. But I said, why don't you pray something like, thank you, Lord, for this incredible gift. And if we ever confuse this building with the kingdom, take it from us and give it to somebody else. Or better yet, burn it to the ground. He didn't pray that prayer, by the way. <laughs> he was a wiser man than I was. But sometimes we forget that it's not about a facility. It's not about a budget. It's not about a program. It's about the living God living amongst his people. Greatest church I was ever involved in met in a Quonset hut. It had absolutely no ambiance at all, but it was the most dynamic experience of my life, being gathered with people who were committed to Jesus and wanted to live out what it meant to be his followers. So think about that as Paul now says, these challenges of being a good soldier, it's not going to be easy. In fact, it's going to be hard. Notice he says, it's like a soldier engaged in active duty, a hardworking farmer and an athlete. It's going to take place, this battle, this walk in the midst of a war. He's very upfront about that. He doesn't pull any punches. He wants you to know life is going to be hard. Years ago, when Joan and I were leading a mission agency in Kansas City, we had a, a hero uh, of the mission named Frank Drown. Frank was a missionary in Ecuador for nearly 50 years. In fact, if you remember in 1956, when five missionaries were killed, uh, he was the man who found their bodies and buried them and stayed in the jungle and saw a church established among some of these tribal peoples. And I would always bring him in front of our new missionaries. And they were zealous, young, fresh-faced, you know, 20-somethings. And he would be this grizzled, gnarly, 80-plus-year-old man who continued to follow Jesus till his very end. And he'd say, I grew up on a farm. Life was hard. I went to the war. Life was hard. I went to the jungle. And life was hard. Life is hard. <laughs> and everybody kind of like, whoa, okay, that's a sobering reality. And yes, there's great joy. But any of us with any age or experience will also tell you, life is hard. God is good, but life is hard. And Paul is saying to Timothy, understand, that's what it takes. It's going to be involved. And he gives three metaphors to describe this process of investing in people. As he's strong in grace, as he invests in people, he says, it's like a soldier, it's like an athlete, it's like a farmer. As a soldier, he wants them to understand that they're engaged in a battle. And it's interesting because I think also too, the military is the last segment of our culture today that understands submission to authority. I mean, when I was considering joining the military out of high school, I remember talking to this recruiter and I told him I wanted to start as a general. He thought that was problematic because you don't start at the top, you start at the bottom. 
and everybody has a superior and everybody learns in order to survive, you got to work together and you've got to be able to follow orders. And Paul is saying to Timothy, understand everybody submits to some kind of authority. A soldier engaged in battle, but he's seeking to please his officer. And by please, he means obey. That's how an army works. So Jesus is saying to us, as we work together, we must understand we are submitted to his authority and to the authority of others. He says, as an athlete, you compete. If you want to win the prize, you got to win according to the rules. You can't make them up as you go. You can't decide for yourself how you want to compete. It's set up for you to be able to follow rules. And who teaches you those rules? A coach. Every athlete needs a coach. Every athlete needs a trainer. Every athlete needs someone to show them, to make them better. I remember, you'll have to take this by faith, but I was an athlete in high school. Not a big one and not a good one. But I had a wrestling coach who would scream in my ear all the time, especially as I was being pummeled by the other wrestler. Don't quit on me. Don't quit on me. I can give you everything but heart. And he was looking for the heart of someone who would compete. And so an athlete is one who understands he is being coached, he's being prepared. He must have heart to engage in the competition if he wants to win. So as a soldier, as an athlete, and third, Paul says, as a farmer. Have you ever noticed historically a lot of the church has been based in the agrarian community? It was true in Jesus' day. It's been true in many places of the world. And farmers have this understanding about hard work. In other words, they are totally responsible. If they don't plant the seed, it doesn't grow. But they till the soil, they plant the seed, they water, they fertilize, and yet they're totally dependent. Weather can destroy everything. One bad hailstorm wipes out a year's work of labor, and yet they are hardworking. Nobody becomes a farmer because they think it's easy. They do it because there's a sense of calling. They do it because of the reward that comes in the harvest when they see that take place. And so Paul is saying to Timothy, remember, just like the farmer, you're fully responsible, but you're totally dependent at the same time. And you have to live in that tension, especially when it comes to people. If you're going to be strong in grace and invest in people, you're going to need to remember this. It's not going to be easy. In the words of that great theologian, Charlie Brown, I have no problem loving the world. It's people I can't stand. People are messy. Have you discovered this? Life is challenging. Problems are complex. And it takes mature, strong people to endure those types of difficulties. And the reality is, if we're honest, most of us are pretty soft. And that's not necessarily our fault in the sense that most of us were raised in the suburbs, relatively affluent lifestyle. The biggest problem we've had is, you know, getting a B minus on a test or having our boss yell at us at McDonald's or, you know, something as we're, we haven't been in that environment where it required us to grow up and to grow up quickly. But Paul was saying to Timothy, you're going to follow me, follow my example, and remember his life 
Paul talked about being stoned and being beaten and being shipwrecked and all of these things. And at the end of that passage in 2 Timothy 4, he says, and out of all of these things, the Lord delivered us. To which if you're an intelligent reader, you'd be going, wait a minute. God didn't deliver Paul out of any of those things. He went through each of those difficulties. But his perspective was, I survived. God was with me through that difficulty. So again, rather than praying for problems to go away, to be solved, to be healed, whatever it is that we're praying for, and I understand why we pray that way. And as I've told you, when I pass a kidney stone, I pray that way. I'm sorry, I just do. But a disciple begins to say, God, what are you teaching me through this? What do you want me to see? What do you want me to learn? How do, how do I understand this in the light of who you are and what you're accomplishing in my life? And then I like how he finishes the passage. He says, consider what I say, for the Lord will give you understanding in everything. And that's kind of my encouragement to you. Consider what I say this morning, but the Lord will give you understanding. It's his voice we listen to. It's his model that we follow. We are at best a small imitation of the real thing. We are modeling Christ who invested in people and calls us, join me in this. And if you're a follower of Jesus this morning, you need to understand Jesus is asking you this morning, right here, right now, join me in this. He's not sending you to do it alone. He's already gone before us. He's inviting, come and see come and participate with me. Well, let me suggest a couple things in closing this morning. As I said before, the Christian army builds soldiers, not forts. Keep the main thing, the main thing. It's always about investing in people. It's not projects, it's not buildings, not budgets, it's people. God calls us, invest our life, not in the stock market, not in your home, invest in people. It brings the best return. And that has some very practical implications. It means as we invest in people, we lead them. Everybody leads someone. Whether you're leading children, whether you're leading others, whether you're leading uh, colleagues, all of us are called to lead others. And Will Rogers said, if you think you're leading and you look around and no one's behind you, you're just out taking a walk. Don't take a walk. Bring others with you. Engage with them. Help them understand what you've learned in Christ. Now, the reality is, in this discipleship process, there's nothing more frustrating. I shared this with the men a few months ago in our uh, Ironworks time. There's nothing more frustrating in life than being called to do something when you don't know how to do it. Anybody identify that? I don't know what I'm doing. How do I start? Where do I begin? Okay. Well, here's the answer for you. You want to write this down? Learn. Learn stuff. In other words, if you don't know, find out. Ask someone to help you in this process. Stop rationalizing. Stop explaining. Stop making excuses. Just simply learn. But the reality is many of us are not motivated enough. The story is told of Bishop Azariah, a Christian bishop in India, and he was listening to some American missionaries complain about how hard it was to get into India. 
I should ask uh, Ambrose and the others when they're back next time. But he said he was listening to these missionaries complain, and yes, I know, missionaries actually complain. He said, if you Americans wanted to get into India half as bad as most Indians wanted to get into the United States, you would find a way. You would find a way. There is a way, and you can find it. Often it takes someone else to help you find it. But Jesus gave us that model for a reason. That's why Proverbs 12, 2 in the living says, he who wants to learn must be willing to be taught. I can teach you, but only if you're willing. Only if you want to. And so this morning, when we think about this process of what it means to be a disciple of Jesus, apprentice yourself to Jesus. Have you done that? Have you said, Lord, I want to learn from you? And then secondly, apprentice yourself to someone else who's further down the road, who can help you get to the next step, who's been around longer than you have. We all need others in our life to help pull us to that next level of process. And if you haven't yet, I'd invite you to also come to our Ridge class at 9 o'clock. We're talking about this. We're trying to figure this out. And I will guarantee you nothing other than the fact that you will still be confused by the time the class is over, but it will be on a much higher and much more significant level. So this morning, listen to the words of the Apostle Paul. Be strong in grace. Invest in people. Understand it's going to be tough. And don't do it alone. We're called together to fulfill this mission. And so this morning, as we hear this passage, we pray that God would help us be doers of the word.